And the kids see that a scientist looks like you and me. You know, we look like everyday people on the street, you know, just walking around eating our, our ice cream, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. You know, we look like normal people, right? We don't have capes on. We don't have, you know, pocket protectors or lab coats. And we look relatable. So that's great for the kids. It's also great for the adults who want to share science with kids because then they can practice and make sure that they are communicating in an efficient manner. This is the Public Health Insight Podcast. Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. In the previous episode, Gordon spoke with Dr. Deborah Thompson about some practical tips you can use to become better science communicators from her book entitled The Art of Science Communication, Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public, and Policymakers. In the final part of the discussion, Dr. Thompson remains to share some ways you can engage in conversations with people who have opposing beliefs on science. This is where they left off. I want to introduce a segment called On the Spot. And as the name indicates, Dr. Thompson, I'll be putting you on the spot. Uh, so are you ready? Let's, let's It's not too this. bad, I promise. But it will test your memory. <laughs> okay, okay. Right. I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. So what year did you start teaching? 2001. Okay, that's what I have in my notes. And the reason I'm asking this is because... It ties back to your whole story. So as far as I'm aware, you did undergrad in, in music, you did undergrad in biology, and you end up ended up going into veterinary medicine, and now you're you're all in on, on science communication. So I'm just wondering, I, the reason I, I singled out teaching is teaching almost ties all of your experiences together. And on this podcast, you are teaching, uh, so are educating, uh, as they say. So Talk a little bit about how the importance of that experience, how it shaped your trajectory now. So, Gordon, I'd like to hear your thoughts mm -hmm. on what I'm about to say uh -oh. and your own experience. Because, yes. yeah, 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 I don't mean to switch this on you. Yeah, you're, you're the whole, I'm the host here. Come on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, when I was a child, I recognized for better or for worse, my brain did not work the same way as other people. And so... I don't know. Maybe I should get an MRI or something. I don't know. But my brain, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily work the way of a lot of other people. And it's hard to describe. I have, um, when I was learning medicine, you know, in, in veterinary uh, medical school, I always had to break it down into the bare bones. And then I had to study with another person and teach that other person. So the reason why I'm saying this is that there's a phrase, learn it, do it, teach it, right? If you really want to understand something, you have to teach it. And before veterinary school, I originally started, I don't think this was in the book. So this is VIP for your listeners. Mm, I started mm. teaching or tutoring um, mathematics uh, at, a, at a college, at a university in the United States. Because um, my last year of high school, yeah, this is definitely not in the book because this is getting personal, but why not? Uh, I'm an open book, so why not? Um, yeah, my last year of high school, I didn't go to high school. I went to a uh, university um, because all I needed was gym class, health class, and English class. 
So for gym, I took tennis. For health, I took psychology. <laughs> for English, I took English. Um, and when I was at that university, uh, just to you know, make some money, I was tutoring math. I was tutoring algebra, geometry, even calculus one. Um, and I really enjoyed it because I saw the improvement in the students. And even if I was teaching people who were you know ten years older than me, it didn't matter. You had you know one person had a, a set of knowledge in order to share with the other person. And I'm sure that the other person could have shared so much more with me based on their own life experiences, right? Um, so from there, I moved up to Montreal, went to McGill University in Montreal. And in order to make some extra money, not only was I a gigging musician, you know, taking, uh, going to weddings and receptions and playing music there, but I was also teaching in a primary school kids who are just starting to learn music. <laughs> so I was helping them learn how to read the clefs. Um, I was also helping them learn how to breathe properly and to form the right embouchure. And that's another thing that I thought was really great to see because you could see the improvement in real time. You know what I mean? It doesn't sound so harsh to your ears. It actually sounded kind of lovely, <laughs> for instance. And that experience I taught really young kids, but then I also taught adults. After that, I had the experience, I moved to Quebec City um, and I was teaching in a middle school. My kid, I call my kids, my students. So my kids were between the ages of 11 and 16. But then after hours, I was teaching adults, uh, professionals who wanted to improve their English in order to further their career. So, you know, I was teaching folks in their 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and with all of that information, behind me. I go into veterinary school and that's when I first heard about One Health. And I was like, what? Why didn't I know about this before? I could have been teaching this all along, especially with my English language learners. And I know you didn't ask me this, but if you don't mind me explaining one thing, I think at the very start you said that the lessons that I have created, uh, that's on onehealthlessons.com, they're now being translated into 88 languages today. So I did that, I, I created One Health Lessons, the organization, not for the English speaking world, but for the world. And it, it has taken hundreds upon hundreds of people, volunteers around the world, to bring that message home to their own communities. Um, so, with One Health Lessons, it's kind of a two for one. You have scientists going into classrooms and serving as science role models. So that way the kids, and I particularly emphasize the importance of going into underserved communities. Um, and the kids see that a scientist looks like you and me. You know, we look like everyday people on the street, you know, just walking around eating our, our ice cream, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, you know, we look like normal people, right? We don't have capes on, we don't have, you know, pocket protectors or lab coats and we look relatable. So that's great for the kids. It's also great for the adults who want to share science with kids because then they can practice and make sure that they are communicating in an efficient manner. And this circles back to what you said before, why is teaching kids important? It's for a number of reasons, you serve as a good role model, you pique their interest in science, but it helps you as a science advocate or a STEM advocate 
to improve your communication skills to then get to the major influencers, either policymakers or celebrities or whoever else, um, people who are uh, focusing on grants and you know possible funders, so that you can then translate what you need to translate in a tangible way. So the most efficient way to do that is to start with kids, make sure that you get as good as possible with your skill set of communication, and then work towards talking to community leaders, etc. Awesome. And that's a perfect segue to what I wanted to talk to you about next. So it's important to be able to speak to your colleagues, friends, family, and a good practice would be, you mentioned children, because they're honest and uh, in, in ways in which, you know, adults might not be as honest. And th- that's very important information in, the, in that context. So, but I was wondering, how do we go about now taking our practice and implementing it to talking to our friends, family about, you know, even controversial uh, public health topics or scientific topics uh, that people might be a little bit tentative to to talk to others on when, you know, politics has polarized a lot of different issues. So how do we, is there like a blueprint for us, how we can engage with people who might not have the same beliefs on a particular topic that we do? Yeah, absolutely. And I know this from experience and I know that it works in other areas of the world too. Um, I know somebody who lives in England and families are not always homogeneous, right? You can go home for Thanksgiving and have, you know, duke out different <laughs> different ideas over the dinner table. And it can be so much stressful, right? So this other person in England who has a brother who is of a very different mindset of hers, they've been arguing for years, okay, over science in general. Um, and just COVID-19 has ex- exacerbated this relationship. Let's just leave it at that. She used the techniques that are found on page 25 of the book. (laughs) And um, her brother was taken aback. And no joke, he said after she used those techniques, he said, okay, they stopped the conversation. He called back the next day and he said, you know, I was thinking about what you said and I get it. And I want to know more. So what, what can I look at? And I want to educate myself. So that in itself is a door being opened. Whereas it had four locks on it before, right? It really comes down to having a conversation. Some of the main points, and I don't want to give it all away, of course. But a few things that are important to remember is education is power. We are not trying to convince anybody. We are trying to educate them in a way that you know that it's you know scientifically proven this or that and the other um but also stay honest because sometimes science in 2021 uh, you know a scientific fact or a belief in 2021 may be disproven by 2023 and so uh i feel like science is an art right depending on the information that you have you can make conclusions. And all data scientists say your conclusions or your interpretation is only as good as the data that you have, right? So stay honest. If you don't know the answer to something, say it. Don't make up something. 
because that's going to bite you. <laughs> that's going to bite you eventually. If it's not today, it's going to happen tomorrow. So stay honest, be relatable, listen to the other person's needs, try to understand why they think something, why they do something. Have them talk first. After you collect all that information by actively listening, then you can lead the conversation and it appeases the other person who spoke first because number one, they feel like they've been heard. Number two, they went first. That's a huge boost for the ego. But they went first for two different reasons. It makes them feel more comfortable because they're the one leading the conversation where in reality you actually are because you're collecting that information. And number two, you're using that information to your advantage because you're cultivating the message to meet the needs of the audience. So I'll leave it at that and the rest of the book. Like I said, it's uh, page 25 to 28. It's very concise. If I have your permission, I would like to pull out one specific tip, if you will, or part in this whole strategy of having a conversation that really I, I consider myself an active listener and I try to engage in a lot of different conversations, especially around vaccine hesitancy. It's a very nuanced topic. You said talk about the costs of changing one's mind. That's not something I've never heard before. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? What, what you mean by talk about the costs of changing one's mind? Yeah, yeah. There are four steps to that. In, in my career, I've taken uh, several random classes, of course, and I, and I am particularly focused on leadership. I really find I, I have a bookshelf full of <laughs> communication and networking and leadership uh, focused books. And I take classes on leadership. And there was one class that was talking about if there's going to be a big change in your company, how can you get the buy-in from people from the rest of your company? It can be a disaster or if you do it the right way in a particular uh, fashion, in particular steps, you can't mix up the steps because <laughs> that will hurt you. Um, but if you approach developing um, an idea of change for your target audience and you know that if you just pop in and say, listen, this is what we're doing, people won't like it. You have to make them feel like it's their idea. Um, I'll say one of the steps, but the other three, it's in the book. Um, one of the steps is recognizing that you have certain information that your audience doesn't know yet. You have had the opportunity to become comfortable with that information, absorb that information. I call it marinating, <laughs> right? You, you know what's coming down the pipeline. But what's important to recognize is that the people you are going to be bringing this message to, this is brand new information for all of them. So there are different personalities in a group. There are different histories in a group. There are different priorities and interests. So you have to come to that group in a certain way that not only recognizes their fears because you have to be relatable, but then figure out if we don't change, what are the consequences? And then have the audience 
be the movers and shakers and say, you know what? We don't want to lose out on this opportunity. We really should take this step to change. And therefore it's their idea. But again, the details are in the book. We'll have to have you back to talk about the advocacy with, with policymakers at some point, uh, because there's a lot, lot to unpack there. But I think what you just mentioned is impactful. Like there are consequences to uh, changing your decision and subtly in, in that language that you use as well, there are consequences as well to not change your decision. So either way, you're making a decision to change or not to change. And with those, both of those decisions, there are consequences essentially. So to talk about that, have an open dialogue is very, opens up and kind of, you know, people let their guard down are more vulnerable to have those complicated conversations around scientific concepts and topics. So that was something that stood out for me from reading the book for sure. So you shared a lot of information uh, and we'll have to have you back about the, the, the advocacy piece. I That's my mission over the next couple months. But you shared a lot of amazing information about uh, how we can each become better science communicators. And for people aspiring to work in public health field, to work in global health, to work in One Health, to work in policy, to work in whatever field that involves uh, presenting clear and concise information. What are your take-home messages for the, these people? Be strategic. Don't be the first one to speak in the room. And recognize that you will not be able to change everybody's mind. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion right? But it is your responsibility to provide the information in a way that can appeal to the audience. And then it's up to them to, depending on how you present that material, it's up to them to then take it to the next step. And just like the person in the UK, ask his sister, can you give me more information about that? Right? Your responsibility is to open up that dialogue, start that conversation and make the other person feel respected and heard. Enough said. Thanks, Dr. Thompson, for sharing some amazing insights. Um, I would like to give you a chance to to talk about, you know, what's the name of your book again, uh, where to find it. Uh, It's called The Art of Science Communication. And the subtitle is Sharing Knowledge with Students, the Public and Policymakers. I, so it's self-published, right? I wanted to make sure that the book itself had art on it because in itself, this picture tells a story. This person in the lab coat is showing, actually it's dopamine. (laughs) And people of all these different ages and backgrounds are learning at the same time about this science. Um, I wanted this, this book's, um, illustration to be from the perspective of the scientist, but with the people in mind that you're speaking with. So that's why this book cover was like this. It's not necessarily meant for children, but as an avid fan of graphic novels, (laughs) I really like graphic novels. I think that's a wonderful medium um, to convey knowledge. One of my first graphic novels that I read was about the U.S. Constitution, and you can imagine how that could be incredibly boring, but it was fascinating. I could not put the book down. 
But anyway, this is the type of art that I, I appreciate and I think a lot of people can relate to. The other nice thing about this is it shows a diverse audience because we're not just speaking with people in one area of the world. We're trying to change lives around the world. And the way to do that is to communicate to meet the needs of your target audience. So the art of science communication, sharing knowledge with students, the public and policymakers. You can get it on Amazon, amazon.ca in Canada, amazon.com uh, in the United States and all the other versions of Amazon that you have. You can also go to a local bookstore and order it there and they get it from the online uh, process. You can get it on Kindle and you could get a hard copy like this. And if we ever see each other in person, I'd be happy to sign it. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Thompson, for some amazing tips. And we're looking forward to having you on again. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.